This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT10. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, The Majority Report, The Young Turks, Activism from the Unfuck It Up Project, Citizen Radio, and Radio Dispatch. We have been reporting basically for the past three years on how Republicans in the states, particularly since the 2010 midterms, have rolled back abortion rights further and faster and more radically than at any time since Roe versus Wade was decided 40 years ago. But you know what? Roe versus Wade still is the law everywhere. And so in this era of Republican governance, about, I don't know, once a week or so at the stroke of noon, some judge somewhere in the country has to do what a federal judge did today in North Dakota. Quote, the state of North Dakota has presented no evidence to justify the passage of this troubling law. The state has extended an invitation to an expensive court battle over a law restricting abortions that is a blatant violation of the constitutional guarantees afforded to all women. The United States Supreme Court has unequivocally said that no state may deprive a woman of the choice to terminate her pregnancy at a point prior to viability. North Dakota House Bill 1456 is clearly unconstitutional under an unbroken stream of United States Supreme Court authority. And therefore, the court grants the plaintiffs motion for an injunction. Federal judge today blocking the law passed by North Dakota Republicans to ban abortions after six weeks which is something you obviously cannot do in this country. But still, this is what Republicans do. They do stuff like this all the time, and it gets blocked all the time. In Kansas, Republicans pass trap laws to shut down clinics there. That law is blocked by the courts. In Ohio, Republicans pass laws to restrict medication abortions there. That law is blocked by the courts. In Oklahoma, their Republicans pass their own laws to restrict medication abortions. That law is blocked by the courts and headed to the U.S. Supreme Court. In Mississippi, the Republican trap law to close down the last clinic in Mississippi is blocked by the courts. In Alabama, the Republican trap law to close down Alabama clinics is blocked by the courts. In Wisconsin, the Republican trap law to close down Wisconsin clinics is blocked by the courts. In Georgia, the Republican ban on abortions at 20 weeks is blocked by the state courts. In Idaho, the Republican abortion ban in that state is blocked by a federal court. In Arizona, the Republican abortion ban is blocked by a federal court. Republicans have long wished that Roe versus Wade did not protect women's right to have an abortion in this country. But something changed in the past few years, and they stopped just wishing for that and advocating for that. And instead, they just started behaving as if that were not true. And so once a week now, a court strikes down what they're doing. There are four states in this country where there is only one clinic that does abortions in the whole state. North Dakota right now is one of those states. The clinic in North Dakota is called the Red River Women's Clinic. It's in Fargo. And we visited that clinic in January. Producer Rebecca Dryden spoke to the clinic director about what it is like to be the one and only clinic in the whole state and to know that the Republicans in the legislature are doing everything they can to try to end access to legal abortion in your state by shutting you down. Any time when the legislature meets, um, they absolutely know there's only one clinic. They target it 
the legislature targets us just as much and they have a lot more power and clout to make things difficult for us. Um, and so in this next legislative session, we think a personhood bill is going to pass, which would basically outlaw abortion. And then somehow that would have to be tackled and um, fought against. And being the only clinic also would make us the ones that have to take on those challenges. That's the other big kind of downside is that when you are the only clinic, you're the one who has to step up and fight the battles and, and take on the challenges to do those, to fight against the legislative actions. That was in January. Since then, the Republican legislature in that state passed a ban on abortions at six weeks, which is for many women before they even know they are pregnant. That is the ban that the federal judge blocked today. This afternoon, Tammy Kromenacher from the Red River Women's Clinic tweeted a link to the federal court's ruling and said, relieved and pleased. What we are seeing today in North Dakota in terms of a judge having to step in and say, you're kidding, right? This is not even close to constitutional. That is happening all over the country, repeatedly. The single most important legislative priority of the Republican Party in the era of Obama is a legislative priority that is illegal everywhere in this country. But that is not stopping them. I'll never stop. Abortion is normal human activity, has been since before civilization. You can't stop it. If you care to, your best option is lowering the rate of occurrence to legitimately pro-family economic policy and pro-women uh, health care. That, that's also the point. There's no doubt that as long as uh, there were uh, medicine women or shaman, uh, there has been abortion. Study after study bears this out. Abortion rates decrease with increased prosperity and empowerment. Decreased access only makes abortion unsafe, not rarer. Indeed. But this is not about any of that. This is about saying that we have the power to legislate over women. It's okay in these people's minds if this happens as long as it is not sanctioned. Look, it's the same thing with adultery with these people, right? You can practice adultery as long as we all understand that according to our religious precepts that you're a sinner. I mean, I, all they want to say, look, none of them will send a doctor to jail if they have an abortion, I mean, if they perform an abortion. None of them will send a woman to jail if she has an abortion. They don't pursue policies that reduce the number of abortions. This is about being able to say that if you have an abortion, you are a sinner. That's what this is about. This is expanding the, uh, the theocracy. That's all. This is about saying that our laws are going to comport to our religious beliefs. The implications of those laws are irrelevant, at least in terms of results.
the execution of those laws in many ways are irrelevant too. We're not going to send a woman to prison for an abortion. We're not going to consider her a murder, a murderer, even though we consider the act to be murder. They want the ability to say that our laws comport with my religious beliefs, and therefore that woman is a sinner. And that's it. Then we can all go home. This is not about women's health. This is not even about protecting life. Because they don't want to diminish the number of abortions. There is statistical, there's, like you're saying, there's statistics here that show the way to decrease abortions is to have more contraceptive care, more sexual education, period. More economic opportunity for, uh, for people, period. The statistics are all there. They won't call the murderers if they have an abortion. Uh, the mother. So it's really, in the end, it's just about religion for them. And it's just about being able to say these people are sinners. Oh, sinner man, where you gonna run to? Sinner man, where you gonna run to? Squarespace is the simplest way for anyone to get up and running with a professional website or online portfolio in just a few minutes. If you have plans to set up a shop online, Squarespace has you covered with a whole range of commerce tools, but I want to tell you about just one of them today that'll improve the task of shipping items in a way that I really never imagined. So shipping rates primarily depend on your carrier, your shipping speed, and the size and the weight of the box you're sending. And with that in mind, Squarespace has set up a system allowing you to enter your product dimensions, weight, and carrier options, and has also implemented 3D packing algorithms to understand the exact amount of ordered items that'll fit into the boxes you ship with. So this means that the system can give a much more accurate shipping cost estimate to the customers taking destination, size, and weight into account. Then when you receive an order, you'll see a 3D rendering of how Squarespace estimated the shipping details. And frankly, this is a thing you kind of just need to see to fully appreciate. And I highlight this particular feature partly because I think it's pretty cool, but mostly because I think it's sort of illustrative of the type of forward-thinking design and technology Squarespace is putting into their service. So I definitely think it's worth giving Squarespace a try, at least for free for 14 days to see all the details yourself. And then when you're ready to sign up, be sure to use the special offer code LEFT10. That's L-E-F-T and the number 10 to get 10% off your purchase. So if you consider paying for a full year up front, that's 10% off the whole year. And that code also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time. So again, the offer code is LEFT10 to get 10% off when you create your own space at squarespace.com. The war against women definitely cost Republicans the election the last time around. However, they did win the war on women in some regard. And Laura Bassett from Huffington Post put together a really, really great piece where she profiles all of the different ways that Republicans won this war against women. Now, back in 2010 is when they really launched this aggressive assault. And ever since then, about 54 abortion clinics shut down because of restrictive anti-abortion legislation. So just to give you guys some more information, at least 54 abortion providers across 27 states have shut down or ended their abortion services. Now, the vast majority of the states in the country actually do not keep track of the number of abortion clinics they have because they count them as 
hospitals or, or the same as hospitals. They don't have a special category for abortion clinics. But Laura Bassett um, and uh, the people who researched for this story looked specifically at abortion centers and abortion clinics, and they found that uh, about 54 of them shut down as a result of this restrictive legislation. And then it wasn't just the ones that shut down. I mean, first of all, like in states like Texas, they were devastated. Yes. Nine clinics shut down in yeah. uh, Texas. And then you have states like Arizona where uh, enough clinics shut down that in order for some people in the state around Lake Havasu, for example, they have to drive 150 miles out of their way, either to Phoenix or to Las Vegas in some parts of the state. So that's a, another huge impediment. And these are all ways to limit your legal right to an abortion, which you have because of a Supreme Court decision, but they don't really care about that. They want to take away those reproductive rights. Yeah. And then furthermore, there's another good point made, which is that if you're, if you're rich or you, got, you can take time off from work, you know, other different factors, you got a good car, it's easier. What if you don't have a car and you got to go 150 miles? You can't take any time off from work. You know, you're working for a living. You're working two jobs. Yes. Well, then it, you've got a stratification again where the rich have access to those rights and the middle class in some instances, but the poor don't. And think about the ramifications of that, because if wealthier people have access to abortions, if they can deal with the 24-hour, or in some cases, 72-hour waiting period between the consultation and the actual abortion, if they can drive 150 miles out of town to an abortion clinic, then you know they don't have to worry about the financial responsibility of having a child. But if it impacts poorer people disproportionately, I mean, it's going to be a complete and utter disaster for that child child that is born into a poor family. It's going to be really, really difficult for that family to take care of that kid. And on top of it, these so-called pro-life uh, advocates and legislators are the very first people in line that want to cut social services that help these poor families raise these kids. In fact, I want to really quickly uh, jump ahead to something that I found really, really interesting. You know, when you look at the cost of childcare in the country, just childcare, I'm not even talking about college education, I'm not talking about food and clothing to take care of the kid or housing, I'm talking about what you need to make sure that you have someone to watch over your kid while you go to work. I mean, the cost is astronomical. In fact, in 35 states and D.C., the cost of center-based daycare, let alone a nanny, is higher than the cost of a year at a public college. Okay, so why aren't Republicans up in arms about that? The cost of, you know, childcare. If they're really so pro-life, why don't they want to do something to make sure that people are able to go to work and afford childcare? Why don't they want to make sure that, you know, we keep the food stamp program, that we keep programs that help, you know, like WIC, for instance, programs that help poor families feed their children? Okay, I have a couple points to make about what you said in this story. Mm -hmm. So on that uh, story about childcare costs, in 28 states, if you got two kids, the cost of childcare is more than if you work a minimum wage job for 40 hours a week. So if you're making minimum wage, sad day, you literally can't even afford your childcare. So it's a you lose money by going to work. Think about how insane that is. And then we just throw bootstraps at people. Now, when you come to the abortion story, you know what they call these laws that they're passing? They're called trap laws, targeted regulation of abortion providers. So the guys who say, oh, we're not doing a war on women, I don't know what you're talking about. They named the laws trap. Like, ha we got you. We took away your rights. Yep. And what do you mean war on women? And then the double irony is the guys who hate regulation, their main weapon is regulation. So they change, for example, they say, oh, now you've got to have the same exact specs as a hospital, which are nearly impossible for these smaller clinics. 
sorry, yeah. we regulated you out of existence. How is that for ironic for Republicans? That's exactly what they do, and I always go back to this. It's never about being pro-life. Or maybe in few instances, you're, you're deeply religious and you do believe that it's life at the moment of conception. But I think that for most conservative legislators, it's about control and it's about punishment. Haha, ha, you were having sex when you weren't trying to reproduce, therefore you should be punished if you get pregnant. And also, a lot of, let's keep it real, a lot of male conservative Republicans are not in favor of women leaving the house, working, having uh, financial independence, financial responsibilities of their own. And so this is a way to control you. Obviously, you don't have uh, the ability to be as successful as you can be in your career if you can't you know, have real family planning as an option. And the last thing I would add to that is, Look, if this was within, it's just the context of these laws, you might say, look, you, maybe you guys are being unfair because they're just pro-life and they're just doing everything they can to save what they, they view to be lies. But within the context of other things that the Republicans are doing at the same time, trying to make sure that they are, they're against laws that would say that women have to get paid the same amount as men, or if they don't and they could prove it in a court of law, then they should win a settlement for that. They say, no, 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 no. We don't want you to win that settlement. We don't want you to bring those cases. We don't want you to get the same amount of pay for the same job as a man. Well, you know, and then you add about 12 other things that they've done that we've covered on the show that are targeted specifically at women, and then you get a clearer picture that Anna's right. This is not just like, oh, a deeply held religious belief on one particular issue. All of these are aimed at making sure that they can reassert their power over women. As we stand in this First thing you need to know is that this has nothing at all to do with the federal government shutdown. It would probably be the top politics story in the country right now if the shutdown were not happening. All right, here's what's going on. January 2011, a state senator in Nebraska named Lydia Brosh uh, introduced legislative bill 690. This is Senator Brosh discussing the bill on the floor of the state legislature in Nebraska. LB 690 was an anti-abortion bill. Specifically, it was what the anti-abortion side calls a parental consent bill. It said that if somebody under the age of 18 in Nebraska wanted to have an abortion, she would have to get written permission from a parent or guardian or she couldn't have it. Previously, you had to notify your parent or guardian, but you didn't need their written permission. But Senator Brosh's bill would change that. It said that blocking a young woman from getting an abortion unless she could get written consent, quote, is the best option for young women's safety, well-being, and peace of mind. Young women's safety, well-being, and peace of mind. That was the idea. Senator Lydia Brosh's bill said that you cannot get an abortion without written consent for your parent, from your parents. And it soared through the Republican-dominated Nebraska state legislature. She introduced it in January 2011. By May, it had passed 41 to 6. And that very same day, Nebraska's Republican governor signed it into law. When it was signed into law, the anti-abortion group Americans United for Life, they were ecstatic. Nebraska's new parental consent law based on Americans United for Life model legislation. They're very, very psyched to get this bill passed in Nebraska. And, of course, they're very psyched to try to get bills like this passed all over the country. 
Well, this past weekend, about two years after that bill became law, the Nebraska State Supreme Court issued their very first verdict in a case under this new anti-abortion parental consent law. This is the headline from the Omaha World Herald. Nebraska Supreme Court rejects foster child's abortion request. Five out of the seven judges on the Nebraska Supreme Court, quote, refused a 16-year-old foster child's request to get an abortion without parental consent. The 16-year-old girl is unnamed in the court case because she's a kid. Her identity has been protected. Uh, but as a kid living in Nebraska, she has not been protected. She cannot get parental consent for her abortion because her parents no longer have the right to be considered her parents. A Nebraska court dissolved their parental rights because they physically abused and neglected their daughter. And it was during the hearing where the 16-year-old girl's parents were getting their parental rights stripped by the state because they abused her. It was during that hearing that the teenager told the court in this confidential proceeding that she was pregnant and that she felt she could not have the baby. She told the court that she wanted to have an abortion because she did not have the financial resources to support a child or, she said, to, quote, be the right mom that I would like to be right now. The district court judge hearing her plea looked this young woman up and down and asked her whether she knew that, quote, when you have the abortion, it is going to kill the child inside you. Then he ruled that she would not be allowed to have the abortion. With no parents available to give written consent, even if that made sense in this case, which it doesn't, that judge decided that he would decide whether or not she would be allowed to have an abortion. And he decided that she would not be allowed to have one. He ruled that the young woman had not shown she is sufficiently mature and well-informed enough to decide on her own whether to have an abortion. And so the state of Nebraska will instead force her to give birth to a child, even though she doesn't want to, because they say she is too immature to choose not to. That was the district court ruling in her case. Now, the Nebraska State Supreme Court has upheld that judge's ruling, thus forcing this 16-year-old girl to give birth by order of these state judges, even though she does not want to give birth. Abortion is legal in Nebraska, but not for her, because she was beaten up and neglected by her family. And so now the state decides what she gets now, and the state has decided she can't have that particular choice. We spoke to the attorney who was representing this young woman at the center of this story today. Uh, her attorney is named Catherine Mahern. And she told us today that there's going to be a meeting in Nebraska next week to try to determine the next step forward in this case, specifically to decide whether or not to try to further appeal this decision and what that might mean in very practical terms for her young client. Time, of course, is of the essence here. The girl at the center of this case is now more than four months pregnant. She was only 10 weeks pregnant when the state of Nebraska first denied her permission to have an abortion. She was 10 weeks pregnant when she started asking. They have just finished saying no, and now she is more than four months pregnant. Uh, we asked her attorney tonight um, what her client thinks about this latest ruling from the state Supreme Court on her case. The attorney told us that she has not yet discussed what this ruling means with her client. The attorney told us today, quote, she's busy, she's a high school student. And an American state is forcing her to give birth against her will on the grounds that, as a high school student, she is too immature to have an abortion, but not too immature to be forced to become a mother. Totally unprepared are you to face a world of men. Timid and shy and scared are you of things beyond your care. And why?
seventeen, going on eighteen. I'll take care of you. Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and activist director Katie Klebusik highlight individuals and organizations working to change the world. Today's campaign, Repealing Hyde. Affluent women in this country have always had access to the full slate of reproductive care, including abortion. As reproductive justice reporter Andrea Grimes writes at RH Reality Check, abortion is not the alternative to parenting. It is the alternative to pregnancy. It is a medical condition that should be attended to by a patient and their physician. Those with means have always viewed it as such and treated pregnancy and the decision of whether or not to carry to term with the privacy our nation's constitution dictates and the Roe v. Wade decision affirmed. 37 years ago last month, however, Congress passed the Hyde Amendment, taking the right to choose away from those who happen to be struggling financially at the time they seek care. Financial insecurity is already a factor in creating conditions that lead to unintended pregnancy. The simple lack of doctors and clinics located in disadvantaged areas compounds the problems of those with chaotic lives due to low-income work schedules and inadequate education surrounding preventative care who are the most likely to need abortion services. Denying access to those relying on Medicaid for their health insurance has strained resources at the local, state, and federal level while further weighing down communities already burdened economically. The Center for American Progress released a study on which groups are affected most by Hyde. The results will likely surprise no one listening to this show. From their report, quote, The Hyde Amendment intentionally discriminates against poor women who are disproportionately women of color. In this way, the Hyde Amendment is a policy that not only violates reproductive rights and principles of gender equity, but one that undermines racial and economic justice as well, unquote. In 1980, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall predicted as much in his dissent to the decision that upheld the discriminatory law. The Hyde Amendment was, quote, designed to deprive poor and minority women of the constitutional right to choose abortion. For women eligible for Medicaid, poor women, denial of a Medicaid-funded abortion is equivalent to denial of a legal abortion altogether. By definition, these women do not have the money to pay for an abortion themselves, unquote. It's long past time to remedy this injustice and restore the right to full reproductive health care access to disadvantaged groups. A number of reproductive justice organizations are spearheading this effort through education, petition drives, and public political pressure. All above all, the National Network of Abortion Funds, NARAL Pro-Choice America, and others have petitions and forms to contact your legislators, something you can do on your own, as always, at contactingthecongress.org. As the movement to repeal Hyde grows, the national network of abortion funds are aiding those left without access to care. Texas is in particular need. The Lilith Fund and its amazing volunteers are working overtime to aid the spike in those affected by new statewide restrictions on doctors and clinics. You can help their efforts by donating or just spreading the word. If you want to get involved closer to home, you can find your local abortion fund by visiting fundabortionnow.org. Volunteers and donors are always needed. Links for today's campaign will be in the show notes in all the usual places, and please visit the Best of Left Facebook page for updates on this and other activism opportunities. You probably didn't fuck it up, but they, whoever they are, they fucked it up. Now it's fucked up. Could you help unfuck it up? And say, are you really so fucking busy? You can't take one fucking minute to help unfuck it up. Because I'm willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up. Won't you join me? 
An education chief in Indonesia wants to do virginity tests on school-aged girls to ensure that they're not involved in promiscuous behavior. And if they don't pass, well, they don't get to go on to the next grade. Now, uh, I did a little more research into this to figure out exactly how these virginity tests would take place. And they would literally have their hymens uh, examined by a doctor. And it makes me sick to my stomach because it, I consider this sexual assault. Forcing girls to go to a doctor to get their hymen checked out so they can pass a virginity test is pathetic and it's sick. Now, similar uh, legislation has been proposed before, um, but it, it, because of a public outcry, uh, nothing happened. They didn't go through with it, and I hope that that will be the case in this particular uh, situation. But wh what the hell? Like, first of all, the boys aren't getting virginity tests. You know oh, why? Because really? virginity tests don't make any freaking sense. Just because a girl doesn't have a hymen doesn't mean that she's been sexually active. And then what happens if this girl was raped or molested or something like that? that all of a sudden you're not going to let her go on, carry on with her education because you consider her promiscuous? In Indonesia, there's a lot of reported cases, especially in the rural areas, which are catch up a little bit later, unfortunately, with modern day and what's happening. Uh, if a bride does not bleed on her first night, they return her to her family. And it's not just Indonesia. There are a number of countries that do something similar. And yeah, I know course, I know yeah. that it, it doesn't happen in Armenia anymore, but back in the day, it was very similar. After the wedding night, uh, the man would have to show like a bloody rag to the parents to like say, yeah, she was clean, she was pure. Disgusting, disgusting. Yeah. Like as if that's the only thing a woman is valuable for, for, for her hymen. Right, let alone the honor killings in Turkey, right. and then the list goes on and on. Here, the uh, Mohammed Rasid, who's a chief of education agency, God help them, in, in Indonesia, in that city in Indonesia, says that this was done as a response to the high rate of adultery and prostitution among female students. God knows what he means by prostitution, whether it's real or what he, you know, refers to as prostitution for ha simply having sex. And uh, he also went on to say, whether a woman wants to stay a virgin or not, that's part of her rights as a woman. But on the other side, we don't want the female students to plunge into negative acts. So, okay. There's something very creepy about an education chief, a male education chief, chief sitting around thinking about the promiscuity of school-age kids. It's now, disgusting. I, I always question it, whether it's uh, guys who are so against gay rights here in America or, you know, fundamentalists in, in, in other parts of the world. When they're so fascinated by a certain topic, you begin to wonder, again, the doctors would be doing the checks, not the education minister, but why is, we, we hope and presume, but why is he so obsessed with like, oh, we got to check their hymens, etc. And the double standard, I know, guys don't have hymens, we get that, right? But at the same time, nobody's even bothering asking. Like, one thing you could do is you could do a polygraph test, yeah. you know, if you care that much. You'd be like, all right, did you lose your virginity or not? And by the way, if you care so much about religion, it's also in all of these religions that you're not supposed to masturbate. You want to make sure that uh, those people don't move on to the next grade level? Probably not, because there might not be a single student left in Indonesia. I know my body better than anybody else. That don't mean I want to go to bed all by myself. I got the blues.
you know there are men's rights activists that like uh, first of all (laughs) 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 idiots Every time I have to bring up the fact that they exist, <laughs> I like I can barely keep my shit together. <laughs> uh, but I guess like a dude a while ago, did we talk about this on the show? Like wrote an article about like he'll never date a woman. Sorry, ladies who have tattoos. Sorry, tattooed ladies, because he's like another man has marked on them. <gasps> no, I didn't know that was a thing. Isn't that amazing? Another reason to get tattooed. Why is he assuming that the tattoo artist was a man? Funny you say that. He also. Uh, brought up the fact they said now you may say something like that <laughs> feminist <laughs> uh it doesn't matter because it was marked at a time that you could have been with another man oh that's crazy yeah that's totally insane he so would not like fact- me because every tattoo i have uh, represents a different man i was with <laughs> and you guys in case you don't know jamie there are a lot of tattoos I'm covered right <laughs> <laughs> wow that's so creepy so just the fact that it like reflects a past yeah that it's like essentially going by men's rights. Oh man, am I saying this? Yeah. If you go by men's rights philosophy with their jealousy and their like not wanting like an untainted woman and stuff, pretty much all like the perfect woman for every men's rights activist is a baby. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's actually. a baby. They want. A woman who has had no life experience, who has been totally isolated and kept virginal and pure, possibly in a closet somewhere waiting for them. Yep. They want to stand outside of a shame vagina while a pure baby girl enters the earth and the second the umbilical cord is cut, get down on one knee (laughs) and be like, will you marry me? Baby. Baby. Literally. Let's go post our pictures on Reddit. Yeah, no, but I think that's a, a good point. They just, they have this unreal, like, well, it's it's a, a sort of fear and paranoia that yeah. they will never measure up to men that this woman was with previously, which in all likelihood, let's be honest, they probably won't because they sound like they're idiots and oh, uh, yeah. insecure. And <laughs> yeah, guys, you won't. I mean, when you're like, oh, I'm never going to match up, like, you're, you're right. If you have that fear and you're willing to lash out against women, it's like, why would a woman want to be with you anyway? Can I ever measure up or will I be enough to get to use you can let me in my own so tender touch I found comparison is killing me within my soul And all the words that I write to let you know that tonight is your night That's just so out of sight But am I that nice? No, I didn't think so Because I would rather walk alone this is a good example, and I meant to talk to Digby about this, but the Republican Party in California has been, I mean... It's I, I don't know. Is there a Republican Party in California? These uh, there really isn't. I mean, I think there's a couple of Republican uh, Congress people. They've lost the uh, both houses of the uh, Republican. I mean, of the not only they lost it, they can't even obstruct anything. They can't They're obstruct so anything small because they have sm- so small it. in the um, in the legislature. They can't obstruct anything. Um, there was a referendum to get uh, to get rid of the idea that you can't raise taxes without two thirds of the Senate, and they ended up uh, losing that one third anyways. 
So the Republican Party in California is back on the mend. They're going to they're gonna rebuild their party. We're going to rebrand and become, uh, we're going to provide answers for California. For those who can't see the image of the buttons they were selling at their G- California GOP convention, uh, two uh, choice ones. One is, I still hate commies, even after they changed their name to liberals. <laughs> but here's the best. Uh, this just goes to show how out of touch and insane these people are and how really they, they are just far more interested in, in essentially mentally masturbating their own misogyny, their own xenophobia, their own just general hate for anybody who's not them. The button reads, KFC Hillary Special. Two fat thighs, two small breasts, Dot, 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 left wing. Whoa. These guys are just so moronic. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And I say guys because, I mean, they're mostly guys. This will go over real well in California. Oh, yes. We're going to take it all back. <laughs> I love the, like, whatever poor PR schmuck has to deal with. Like, guys, we were going to move in the direction of we don't hate all Mexicans. Uh, not that doesn't the mean Hillary Clinton to, uh, demeaned women. I mean, honestly, you know, some guys just like, well, God damn it, I can't demean Hillary Clinton, and I have to treat Hillary, uh, Mexicans respectfully. What's what what's the, the point? point of a party anymore? There's a reason why we call it a party. Do we still, can't even have any fun? Do we still get to keep our commie liberal fins? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, those are okay. One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen. So if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restriction. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. So, um, friend of the show, Lori Penny, has a piece up at The Guardian called If You're a Feminist... Uh, you'll be called, uh, the headline is, if you're a feminist, you'll be called a man-hater. You don't need rebranding. And uh, Lori's argument in her piece, which is really, really interesting, and I think absolutely right, and even though I've definitely, uh, it was interesting for me to read because I was definitely uh, not always of this way of thinking, even though like it's one of those things that when you read it, you're like, oh, of course, <laughs> of course that's right. But that, you know, Oh, feminism is like alienating and, uh, you know, leads to a lot of like ridicule, of course, because anything that's powerful, anything that's meaningful will, of course, not be like universally embraced and celebrated. Something that is universally embraced and celebrating, probably not 
super threatening. Right. The fact that it's actually reviled by so many people is a sign of its strength rather than a weakness. Right. And the fact that it's, yeah, that it is, uh, has this kind of like makes, um, you know, makes people want to dismiss you and not want to talk to you. Like that's a, that, that's a function of the fact that it has power. So if it were to become this big thing where like everybody's into it or, you know, more people are into it and, uh, you know, everyone's just enthusiastically like, yeah, feminism, you know, that we, we have seen that with certain, maybe not the word feminism, the word feminism is still, um, I think in, in, the, in mainstream culture for the most part, pretty, uh, like loaded and, and alienating, but like, you know, the things that I'm thinking back to a lot of bell hooks now, like the things that aren't ultimately super threatening to patriarchy, to capitalism, especially to capitalism, um, are the things that then get kind of swept up and become, you know, quite popular. Like no, no one has a problem now against like, you know, um, women in the workplace still it's not equal still that their struggles still you know there needs to be more women uh all that stuff but you know it's it's you know it's you'll, you'll find somebody who might be like feminism stupid but who will still be like oh well, of course women should have the right to work yeah well and and sort of similarly um but in a different topic like it's fine for uh for like gap or whatever to have to to have charities that like give uh things to africa or like for bono to to like work to solve world hunger or whatever but you can't actually talk about u.s imperialism about uh about how uh, imf and world bank loans are predatory and suck the resources and wealth from countries and and so you can you can have you can have uh solutions that that are very incredibly popular and make everyone feel great and you can have all sorts of fancy charity balls where celebrities get together and they say we're donating 10 million dollars to Africa uh-huh. and maybe those 10 million dollars even will do some good but you can't actually have a conversation about uh, about the underlying um, structures and, and institutions that uh, that maintain um, global inequality, that maintain global poverty, et cetera, et cetera. Right, and so and and similarly, yeah, there's certain ideas that uh, you know are still important and and you know uh, were powerful that the, but the the ones that have gotten kind of like swept up and normalized and okay are like. You know, sure, women can wear pants, but you still got to look sexy in them. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> or like, sure, women can work, but you better be wearing a sexy pantsuit and you better not be, you know, taking a man's job. Uh, or, you know, sure, women can work, but we're sure as hell not going to talk about like, you know, women of color who uh, are, you know, economically and like structurally, uh, you know, blocked out of uh, those positions because of the intersections of white supremacy and capitalism and patriarchy. But like, uh, you know, so, so even though like, and this is like, as a feminist who spent a lot of time trying to be like, it's not scary. It's okay. Um, These are the things that a lot of people will point to. They'll be like, well, I'm, I, you know, I don't think feminism is necessary anymore because everything's fine now. Like, I can work, I can date whoever uh-huh. I want, I can, you know, sleep around, whatever. Um, but when it's, when it comes to actually, you know, still pointing out the way that patriarchy still functions, whether it be 
you know, men in power or, uh, you know, sexual politics or, um, you know, uh, racist economic politics, racist and sexist economic, uh, you know, policies or whatever. If, if you go as, if you dare to like, you know, still remain in that area of like that types of criticism, then it's just, oh, well, you're, you're crazy. You're better. You're a crazy feminist. That's what's wrong with feminism, you know, like as opposed to just being like a, you know, you can be like a woman who is like empowered now. Um, and that's not necessarily threatening, but if you're a woman who's empowered, who's like pointing out the way that power is still functioning, uh, and keeping other people down and other women down, um, especially if you're doing it in like an intersectional way that like really brings in like a lot of, uh, you know, brings in an intersectional analysis rather than just being like, more women should have expensive white collar jobs. Yeah. Um, then, you know, that's like the line that you cross and then suddenly you're, you, you know, that, that's when all of those same old like negative feminist w- ways to dismiss feminists come back. So, you know, I think it's Lori's argument is like, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, if, if you are receiving that kind of, hatred that kind of um you know reaction it's because um what you're saying is remains you know something that isn't super palatable and and uncontroversial um meaning that you know it's important because if everything is just you know uncritically whatever being completely uncritically embraced and made popular might is, is necessarily not the thing that is going to be disruptive to the way things are. Well, so, uh, I feel like that's, um, that's a good time for me to, uh, to drop a, a serious truth bomb on you and say, I don't think we need the word feminism anymore. I think that we should just use the word humanism and, uh. and equalism because at the end of the day, aren't we all equals? humans and uh i don't neither to me neither Mm -hmm. of those words uh has the negative connotations of feminism Mm -hmm. so why can't we just use those words right well first of all as listeners have pointed out humanism is an actual like school of thought that's that's not what anti-feminists mean when they think when they say what they think it means like you but but why can't we get rid of that (laughs) other school of humanist thought and use what i mean humanist thought (laughs) <laughs> okay, so forget humanism. Like, humanism actually means something, but the way it's used is just when a guy doesn't like the word feminism, and they'll be like, well, I want everybody to be equal, but I'm just, I, humans. It doesn't, it's not about women. Humanism. Not realizing that humanism is actually a thing that already exists, and you can't just be like, I'm into humans. I call it humanism. It's a fun thing I do. I, want I love feminism. bacon, too. Yeah. I don't like it when women talk about women and their feminism, but I like humans, so I call it humanism. Nom, nom, nom bacon so how about equalism then because that that has uh all of the comforting uh inclusiveness of equality and uh you know isn't it better to bring everyone to the giant table and then and talk and and start let's start fresh with a new movement called equalism (laughs) equalism i i don't know if i've heard this one before I will refer to... I think Lori mentions it in, in her piece, doesn't she? Really? I think oh, so, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't... I, I, if, if she did, I missed it. Um, I mean, 
I'm going to refer to Lindy West uh, and her, uh, I think it was like fleeches and flooches analogy <laughs> that in the Dr. Seuss world where there is, for the most part, uh, there, there's two you know, defined genders, even if there's um, those genders are constructions, which I believe uh, let's imagine that the, the two kind of genders as most people see them are fleeches and flooches uh and uh fleeches you know own um historically you know they they uh have always been the president um they own all of the property for a long time fluches weren't even allowed to own property um they you know they run all of the uh kind of municipal and governmental structures um and then uh the flute and they 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 run the newspaper you know they write everything they run television they run, make the movies all this stuff and then the fluches one day were like hey this isn't this isn't fair we want equal rights um they they could just start a movement called you know beastism because they're they're all beasts um uh-huh. fluches and fluches all beasts but if they start the movement called fluchism it specifically recognizes how it's the ways that fluches have been left out of the beast structures. So it's not about, it is about all beasts, but the fleeches are, are doing fine, Gen- broadly speaking. Certainly there's individual fleeches and, you know, fleeches that suffer from other uh, uh, oppressive forces. But, like, in terms of, like, who has the power, it's the fleeches. And so in order to, like, recognize that structurally, the fleeches put fluchism in their name. Lindy West always makes things make sense. <laughs> she does. Stupid little star. If there's one upon your tummy, that's just yummy, you're my chummy. If there isn't, you're a crummy, slummy, gummy, bummy, dummy. That applies likewise to daddy and your mommy. Twink, twink, twinkle, twinkle, lovely little star. Twink, twink, twinkle, twinkle, stupid little star. A Saudi Arabian sheikh has uh, noted a study from a religious organization indicating that women in Saudi Arabia shouldn't drive because mm. it'll damage their pelvis and their ovaries. These women point. have to bear children. I mean, that's the only thing they're good for. So we can't have them driving in, in cars. That's terrible. Um, now, of course, yeah. this study has absolutely no scientific research or scientific merit. Um, but the sheikh <laughs> did say uh, really? that, yeah, of course, physiological science and functional medicine studied this side and found that it automatically affects ovaries and rolls up the pelvis. <laughs> rolls up the pelvis. I love that. <laughs> How do people in America get pregnant? This is crazy. This is why we find for women who uh, continuously drive cars, their children are born with clinical disorders of varying degrees. Well, look, this he's being very scientific. It's yeah. varying degrees of disorder, okay? So, I mean, take your chances. You roll your ovaries down the pelvis. And you never know what comes out. Look at America. Look at all the freaks over there. Okay. Saudi Arabia is the only country in the world that doesn't allow women to drive. I know, it's incredible. I mean, you have so many other countries that severely violate human rights and especially women's rights, yet Saudi Arabia is still the only country that doesn't allow women to drive. I mean, women have been protesting in Saudi Arabia for the last four years uh, for the ability to drive, and some have been arrested, some have dealt with lashings as a result, and I hope they continue to fight back, but I just find it laughable that anyone in Saudi Arabia would take this study from a religious organization seriously. No one's buying it. I mean, why would they even try? So, several things on that. First of all, the person you were alluding to, Shaima Justinia, who's 34, she was sent to 
sentenced to 10 lashes. They whipped her for uh, the grave offense of driving a, a car. And, but that was all the way back in 2011. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just two years ago that happened. And then um, Saudi Arabia, amazingly, only finished 130 out of 134 countries on gender parity. Jesus, who's worse on gender parity than Saudi Arabia? So uh, that's amazing. But So in order to veil this if you will, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, the cloak of science so that they could say like, oh, it's a scientific study, pelvis rolling, ovaries gone, damaged, right? Uh, they brought in former professor at King Fahd University, so you know he's not biased, uh, Kamal Subi. Mm -hmm. And Kamal Subi is the guy who says, oh yeah, the ovaries, oh, they're, they're fucked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, in order to get pregnant, I guess they would have to be. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> this is the same alleged uh, professor who earlier had testified that, well, if you allow women to drive, obviously uh, we will have increases in prostitution, pornography, mm -hmm. and homosexuality. And that's usually how it works. He's got, got a point there. Whenever I see a woman driving, I lean over to Bob and I say, you guys want to make out? <laughs> I mean, how insane is that? If you let women drive, yeah. well, obviously dudes will turn gay. No, but think about how easily emasculated and how terribly weak the men in Saudi Arabia are. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are men in Saudi Arabia that are in favor of allowing women to drive, but I'm talking about the religious leaders that are so scared. They think that if they give their women a little bit of freedom, they're immediately going to do crazy shit because they're so unhappy with the relationships they have with these pathetic losers. Yeah, they think they'll turn to prostitution, they'll yeah. turn to pornography, because obviously they wouldn't want the guys, they want porn. Right. And then uh, it, it will lead to more divorce, there was another thing by alleged Professor Subi. Uh, okay, and, and then ultimately they'll turn to other women. Because yeah. they're like, well obviously since we're pathetic and we can't ever keep a woman, unless we keep her literally wrapped up and literally in the home so she can't even run away, escape to the mall, <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, well obviously she'll leave us because we suck. And that's what the leadership of Saudi Arabia is saying. Look, of course, among the young in Saudi Arabia, as in a lot of countries, they rebel against this because uh, they find it out as outrageous as we do. And they have to live in it, not just the women, but the men as well. Uh, but this is, to couch it in science is hilarious. It is hilarious. And just one final thing that they like to fearmonger about. Within 10 years of the ban being lifted, the report's authors, uh, authors claimed there would be, quote, no more virgins in the Islamic Kingdom. <laughs> this is science. science. I'm not sure they understand what the word virgin means. You see, when <laughs> what happens as soon as the baby's born? They're like, ten years ago we let somebody drive. <laughs> okay. okay, how could there be no more virgins? And it's it's abs it's absurd on two fronts. Yes, because of what you're saying, and also because I mean. Just the idea that being able to drive is going to convince women to go out there and just have sex with everyone, and that's the only worth that they have. If they're not virgins, well, then they're worthless. Right. right? That's the only thing that you should emphasize about them. And one final point. Apparently, they believe that they're wrong, that if, you, if they do not restrict your freedom, that you will choose an alternative path. Mm -hmm. If they believe that if you're completely free, then you would follow the path that they have laid out, then they shouldn't be worried about cars or what kind of clothing, etc. Women would naturally be just as religious as Saudi Arabia wants them to be. They would follow in the path of God, etc., right? Apparently you think, well, they're not going to do that because obviously we're wrong, and so we can't allow them to have any freedom. Because if we do, then they'll realize we're jackasses and they won't listen to us anymore.
can you imagine not being able to go anywhere unless you have some sort of like chauffeur or some some guardian who like takes you to where you need to go and and look super final point that's exactly the subjugation that they desire that everything that a woman does she must check with either her husband her father or her brother like so you must get permission for every single thing you do and to these pathetic guys uh, that is in, that are in the leadership in Saudi Arabia they think well i mean that's the only way we can get them to ever love us right uh, like if we gave them a choice they obviously wouldn't choose us oh, it's so weak Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. And I wanted to weigh in on your comments on the LGBTQ episode about the uh, GMOs. And I think it's a bit of a mischaracterization to say that there are the pro-GMO and the anti-GMO necessarily. You know, I don't object to a label on something that I'm going to eat or potentially eat or give to my family as long as that label tells the truth. So I don't want that label to say this is GMO and it may be dangerous and scary because I disagree with Monsanto. Basically, the truth is a value unto itself. And that's one of the reasons why I think the backlash was so big on this is that a lot of people think that you can just say terrible things about GMOs because we're all on board and the truth isn't the important factor. But just as there have been in, in cases past, the truth does matter. When you When the truth is no longer a core principle of what we're arguing. You get to, you know, in some previous cases, we got to where people were talking about things like double jeopardy and things like that, about a, a potential criminal conviction that was overturned, that they disagreed with. Because the truth, the facts, weren't what was important, it was the feelings. So the other problem with the labeling as a means of accomplishing different farming practices and different intellectual property practices and so forth, not based on science, is that it neutralizes. I don't want to make my political decisions at the grocery store, to buy the food that I need to eat for my family at the grocery store. The best way for me to be active politically is to vote and to be active politically. This, you know, vote with your dollars thing doesn't work. We don't have enough money. The 1%'s got it all. So I think the other problem, you know, the main, the main just you know, the main thrust of it is that the truth matters unto itself and that trying to put labels on just because we feel icky about them in general and not to, you know, I think that is trying to accomplish through shopping what should be accomplished through political activism and through voting through candidates and so forth. Thanks. Have a nice day. Appreciate the show. Bye. Hey Jay, what's going on? It's Chris from Colorado Springs. Hey, I just listened to uh, the last episode on corruption and uh, the comments about the, the police episode from Casey from Chicago, and I thought you did a really good job of um, kind of debunking what his argument and what he had to say. It got me thinking about a couple of things. First of all, I, I started thinking of Chris Hayes' book, The um, 
Twilight of the Elites and about meritocracy. And I think, I believe it was um, either Tom Holland or Sam Cedar on that uh, that episode on the police that said, you know, if we give the, the police chiefs the power to buy what they want, they're going to buy the tanks because that's what the public can see. And I really think the public's kind of on the hook here because we, when, when I'm saying we as in general, when something bad, horrible happens in a community, we want to know how did this happen? Why didn't the police do something? And and then we try to hold these these sheriffs and these this police departments to account and be like, show me your numbers. I want to see that you're actually you know fighting crime. And what this leads inevitably, Chris Hayes' theory, is that it leads to people becoming corrupt and people cheating. So what do they do? They 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 fudge the numbers. They they don't report all the women that were raped. They mark them down as lower assaults or lower batteries. And they they continue to do those things, and they break out with this military SWAT equipment so because it makes a really good show. They don't want another thing that happened. I don't know if you remember the Bank of America shooting back in uh, in L.A. Uh, I think it was in the late 90s. I remember when that blew up, everybody was like, why can the cops not take these guys down? And I think it's hard as a citizen because you, you want to be like, well, we need to protect everybody, but, but at what cost? You know, I don't want to waive my rights with my flag, as, say, Trances would say. So I think the public is kind of on the hook where we have to say, you know, we want you to do everything you can up to this line. But this line cannot be crossed. And another thing I want to say is that although individuals are ultimately responsible for their own behavior, I really do think that it's police chiefs and politicians putting downward pressure on these systems, like like the the police department, to get rid of crime or reduce crime numbers. That's how we get things like stop and frisk. So I think a lot of these cops, and if you think about it, you know, everyone's going after everybody's pensions. If you're if you're a government employee now, and these guys, a lot of these guys and gals, just want to get through their day without getting killed and without getting in trouble. And if they have quotas, even if they're illegal, if they have quotas, they have to meet. You know, people have to find a way to do their jobs. I'm not trying to let people off the hook for abuse, for being abusive. I'm just saying I can understand how in that system you can be systematized and I don't want to say brainwashed, but convinced that what you're doing is right because it's what your bosses are telling you to do. And if you don't do it, well then you're you know, you're gonna be stuck on the shitty beat or you're not gonna get that promotion that you've been working your ass off for. So I just, I, I, as a cog in a in a big government machine, I work in a school district. I, I can understand how a lot of my coworkers get that mentality of just, I just keep my head down and I'm doing what I'm told. I don't really concern myself whether it's right or wrong. And we're not dealing with life and death situations, so I can only imagine what it's like for those police officers. But anyway, I think I think it's a great conversation, and you know. You're right. It, it, it airs some white privilege there. I thought I heard that when Casey was speaking. That I mean, I don't obviously I can't see him, so I don't know what that is. But I was always told that you respect the police, and you and with that whole Trayvon Martin thing happened, um, it really made me open my eyes to oh my goodness, you know, people who are oppressed and are abused by the police have to have those kind of conversations with their children, and that that was that just blew my mind, and that that's my white privilege showing all over again. That I I will not have to have that conversation with my son. So, anyway, thanks, Jay, for uh, everything you do. Bye. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So first of all, I just want to share a you know fun little experiment with you. I, my sister was in town really, really briefly. I got to have coffee with her today, and when she heard I was doing a show on feminism, she shared this little you know experiment. And she said, you know, if, when, you know, when you go on Google, you, you probably know this, you start to type something in and Google autofills for you what they think you might want to say based on what other people search for and, and phrases that are, you know, most frequent, uh, on the internet. And so you can do this experiment by, by, you know, compare the genders by typing in women need to and men need to. And you can do other variations like women should and men should and that sort of thing. So I, I, I did women need to and here's what I came up with. Women need to know about men. Women need to shut up. Women need to grow up and so on. Men need to ejaculate. Stay classy. Men need to be needed, feel needed, cheat, and men need to be men. And so I think the comparison, I think, is obvious. Uh, and it's sort of instruct- instructive to anyone who thinks, hey, like this whole feminism thing is overblown. Yeah, everyone should be treated equally. And aren't we there yet? Uh, no, we're not. Uh, I'm sorry to say. Um, but the men need to be men is sort of the one that's most instructive for me because, it, you know, you could even say like, hey, the genders are different. Men should just be men and women should be women and we should treat everyone equally, but stop trying to be something you're not. And here's the thing, that that doesn't work. You can't do both because right now we have institutional imbalances so that you know if men are men and women are women, well, then women continue to be systematically oppressed. And so how about this? How about anybody gets to be however they want to be and only be judged on their abilities? I mean, that sounds all right to me. And who would oppose this but those who are too insecure to feel confident that they would hold their own in a society where they are no longer held up while others are systematically oppressed? Now, speaking of institutional oppression, uh, this is sort of in response to uh, Chris from Colorado Springs talking about, you know, the police being sort of systematized to act the way they do, however that is, you know, whether, I mean, there's probably police forces all around the country where, you know, their treatment of citizens is exemplary and there are others where it is not so much. And so just interestingly, uh, Jeff from Florida is is a long-term listener. Frankly, I haven't heard from him in a while. I don't know if he listens regularly anymore, Uh, but he commented on a post on the Best of Left Facebook page recently. Uh, in, in which there was discussion about the the infamous pepper spray cop, where you know the guy who was spraying huge amounts of pepper spray into the faces of Occupy Wall Street protesters in Davis, California, and Jeff is a policeman, uh, and all, you know he just commented that he said, "Boy, the first time," and I'm just paraphrasing. He said, "Boy, you know the, the first time I saw that video, I thought that guy is screwed because you know they were teaching me ten years ago to not do that to people, and I, he's." in huge trouble. And so, so I'm not like extrapolating too much from what Jeff's saying and, and I'm certainly not speaking for him. But I thought, exactly. Like, of course police forces are trained to not do stuff like that. There should be nothing wrong with that. That's exactly the kind of systematizing we should be doing. Instilling ideas like don't abuse your power and so on. Don't spray way too much pepper spray in people's faces. There should be no objection to ongoing, constant uh, training that 
you know, constantly try to improve on the systems we have in place. And the way to improve them is to, if you have a little bit of police abuse, then do whatever you can to minimize that and minimize that and minimize that until hopefully you completely snuff it out, even if that's not, you know, a, a reasonable goal to have, you know, have that be the goal and get as close to it as possible. And there was another caller, is uh, a caller from New Zealand, and he called in on Skype, and it was sort of inaudible for a lot of it, and so I couldn't play it on the show. Um, but I, part of what I could hear, you know, he's making a very good point that the law enforcement system is just that. It's a system, and like all systems, is prone to system failures. And so, of course, and you know, as he's saying, there's nothing wrong with constantly trying to improve the system. So I just want to be really clear that, you know, any talk on this show about police abuses and brutality has nothing to do with trying to you know, demonize individual policemen or make the claim that they are all corrupt or anything like that. It really is focusing on a system-wide level in the same way that I talk about things like mental health care. Mental health care is clearly not needed by every person, but it should be available to every person so that those who need it have access to it. Same with economic support to food stamps, those sorts of things. It's not needed by everyone, but should be available to everyone to help those who need it. Uh, you know, cops, not, clearly not all of them are going to be abusive, but the training should be for every cop to make sure that any who are prone to abuse can potentially be trained and systematized away from that. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That's absolutely how the show survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash best of the left. Go to that website. If you're not familiar with it, go to that website and the process is described there for you so you can kind of get a sense of what I'm asking for. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music you in this and every episode. All that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained Stories and forget who it is we're